Part One, Chapter One B of the Adventures of Jimmy Dale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. The Adventures of Jimmy Dale by Frank L. Packard. Reading by Mary Rohde. Part One: The Man in the Case. Chapter One B: The Gray Seal. Jimmy Dale walked down a block, then hailed a bus and mounted to the top. It was late, and he found himself the only passenger. He inserted his dime in the conductor's little resonant-belt cash receiver, and then settled back on the uncomfortable, bumping, cushionless seat. On rattled the bus. It turned across town, passed the circle, and headed for Fifth Avenue. But Jimmy Dale, to all appearances, was quite oblivious of its movements. It was a year since she had written him. She, Jimmy Dale, did not smile. His lips were pressed hard together. Not a very intimate or personal appellation, that. But he knew her by no other. It was a woman, surely. The handwriting was feminine, the diction eminently so. And had she not come herself that night to Jason? He remembered the last letter, apart from the one tonight, that he had received from her. It was a year ago now, and the letter had been hardly more than a note. The police had worked themselves into a frenzy over the gray seal. The papers had grown absolutely maudlin, and she had written in her characteristic way, Things are a little too warm, aren't they, Jimmy? Let's let them cool for a year. Since then, until tonight, he had heard nothing from her. It was a strange compact that he had entered into, so strange that it could never have known, could never know a parallel. Unique, dangerous, bizarre, it was all that and more. It had begun, really, through his connection with his father's business, the business of manufacturing safes that should defy the cleverest criminals. When his brains turned into that channel had been pitted against the underworld, against the methods of a thousand different crooks from Maine to California, the report of whose every operation had reached him in the natural course of business, and every one of which he had studied in minutest detail. It had begun through that, but at the bottom of it was his own restless, adventurous spirit. He had meant to set the police by the ears, using his gray seal device, both as an added barb, and that no innocent bystander of the underworld, innocent for once, might be involved. He had meant to laugh at them, and puzzle them to the verge of madness, for in the last analysis they would find only an abortive attempt at crime. And he had succeeded, and then he had gone too far, and he had been caught by her. That string of pearls which, to study whose effect facetiously, he had so idiotically wrapped around his wrist, and which, so ironically, he had been unable to loosen in time, and had been forced to carry with him in his sudden, desperate dash to escape from Marx's the big jewelers, in Maiden Lane, whose strong room he had toyed with one night, had been the lever which, at first, she had held over him. The bus was on Fifth Avenue now, and speeding rapidly down the deserted thoroughfare. Jimmy Dale looked up at the lighted windows of the St. James Club as they went by, smiled whimsically, and shifted in his seat, seeking a more comfortable position. She had caught him. How, he did not know. He had never seen her. 
did not know who she was, though time and again he had devoted all his energies for months at a stretch to a solution of the mystery. The morning following the Maiden Lane affair, indeed, before he had breakfasted, Jason had brought him the first letter from her. It had started by detailing his every move of the night before, and it had ended with an ultimatum. The cleverness, the originality of the Gray Seal as a crook lacked but one thing, she had naively written, and that one thing was that his crookedness required a leading string to guide it into channels that were worthy of his genius. In a word, she would plan the coups, and he would act at her dictation and execute them, or else how did twenty years in Sing Sing for that little Maiden Lane affair appeal to him? He was to answer by the next morning, a simple yes or no, in the personal column of the morning news Argus. A threat to a man like Jimmy Dale was like flaunting a red rag at a bull, and a rage ungovernable had surged upon him. Then cold reason had come. He was caught. There was no question about that. She had taken pains to show him that he need make no mistake there. Innocent enough in his own conscience, as far as actual theft went, for the pearls would in due course be restored in some way to the possession of their owner, he would have been unable to make even his own father, who was alive then, believe in his innocence, let alone a jury of peers. Dishonor, shame, ignominy, a long prison sentence, stared him in the face, and there was but one alternative, to link hands with this unseen, mysterious accomplice. Well, he could at least temporize, he could always queer a game in some spacious manner, if he were pushed too far. And so, in the next morning's news Argus, Jimmy Dale had answered yes. And then had followed those years in which there had been no temporizing, in which every plan was carried out to the last detail, those years of curious, unaccountable, bewildering affairs that Carruthers had spoken of, one on top of another, that had shaken the old headquarters of Mulberry Street to its foundations, until Seal had become a name to conjure with. And yes, it was quite true, he had entered into it all, gone the limit with an eagerness that was insatiable. The bus had reached the lower end of Fifth Avenue, passed through Washington Square, and stopped at the end of its run. Jimmy Dale clambered down from the top, threw a pleasant good-night to the conductor, and headed briskly down the street before him. A little later he crossed into West Broadway, and his place slowed to a leisurely stroll. Here, at the upper end of the street, was a conglomerate business section of rather inferior class, catering doubtless to the poor foreign element that congregated west of Broadway proper and to the south of Washington Square. The street was, at first glance, deserted. It was dark and dreary, with stores and lofts on either side. An elevated train roared by overhead, with a thunderous, deafening clamor. Jimmy Dale, on the right-hand side of the street, glanced interestingly at the dark store windows as he went by. And then, a block ahead, on the other side, his eyes rested on an approaching form. As the other reached the corner and paused, and the light from the street lamp glinted on brass buttons, Jimmy Dale's eyes narrowed a little under his slouch hat. The policeman, although nonchalantly swinging a nightstick, appeared to be watching him. 
Jimmy Dale went on half a block farther, stooped to the sidewalk to tie his shoe, glanced back over his shoulder. The policeman was not in sight, and slipped like a shadow into the alleyway beside which he had stopped. It was another Jimmy Dale now, the professional Jimmy Dale, quick as a cat, active, lithe. He was over a six-foot fence in the rear of a building in a flash, and crouched a black shape against the back door of an unpretentious, unkempt, dirty second-hand shop that fronted on West Broadway, the last place certainly in all New York that the managing editor of the News Argus, or anyone else, for that matter, would have picked out as the setting for the second debut of the Gray Seal. From the belt around his waist, Jimmy Dale took the black silk mask and slipped it on. And from the belt, too, came a little instrument that his deft fingers manipulated in the lock. A curious snipping sound followed. Jimmy Dale put his weight gradually against the door. The door held fast. Bolted, said Jimmy Dale to himself. The sensitive fingers traveled slowly up and down the side of the door, seeming to press and feel for the position of the bolt through an inch of plank. Then from the belt came a tiny saw, thin and pointed at the end, that fitted into the little handle drawn from another receptacle in the leather girdle beneath the unbuttoned vest. Hardly a sound it made as it bit into the door. Half a minute passed. There was the faint fall of a small piece of wood. Into the aperture crept the delicate, tapering fingers. Came a slight rasping of metal. Then the door swung back. The dark shadow that had been Jimmy Dale vanished, and the door closed again. A round white beam of light glowed for an instant and disappeared. A miscellaneous, lumbering collection of junk and odds and ends blocked the entry, leaving no more space than was sufficient for bare passageway. Jimmy Dale moved cautiously, and once more the flashlight in his hand showed the way for an instant, then darkness again. The cluttered accumulation of second-hand stuff in the rear gave place to a little more orderly arrangement as he advanced toward the front of the store. Like a huge firefly, the flashlight twinkled, went out, twinkled again, and went out. He passed a sort of crude, partitioned-off apartment that did duty for the establishment's office, a sort of little boxed-in place it was, about in the middle of the floor. Jimmy Dale's light played on it for a moment, but he kept on toward the front door without any pause. Every movement was quick, sure, accurate, with not a wasted second. It had been barely a minute since he had vaulted the back fence. It was hardly a quarter of a minute more before the cumbersome lock of the front door was unfastened, and the door itself pulled imperceptibly ajar. He went swiftly back to the office now, and found it even more of a shaky, cheap affair than it had at first appeared. More like a box stall with windows around the top than anything else, the windows doubtless to permit the occupant to overlook the store from the vantage point of the high stool that stood before a long, battered, wobbly desk. There was a door to the place, too, but the door was open and the key was in the lock. The ray of Jimmy Dale's flashlight swept once around the interior and rested on an antique, ponderous safe. Under the mask, Jimmy Dale's lips parted in a smile that seemed almost apologetic as he viewed the helpless iron monstrosity that was little more than an insult to a trained cracksman. 
Then from the belt came the thin metal case and a pair of tweezers. He opened the case and with the tweezers lifted out one of the gray-colored, diamond-shaped seals. Holding the seal with the tweezers, he moistened the gummed side with his lips, then laid it on a handkerchief, which he took from his pocket, and clapped the handkerchief against the front of the safe, sticking the seal conspicuously into place. Jimmy Dale's insignia bore no fingerprints. The microscopes and magnifying glasses at headquarters had many a time regretfully assured the police of that fact. And now his hands and fingers seemed to work like lightning. Into the soft iron bit a drill, bit in and through, bit in and through again. It was dark, pitch black, and silent. Not a sound, save the quick, dull rasp of the ratchet, like the distant gnawing of a mouse. Jimmy Dale worked fast. Another hole went through the face of the old-fashioned safe. And then, suddenly, he straightened up to listen. Every faculty tense, alert, and strained, his body thrown a little forward. What was that? From the alleyway leading from the street without, through which he himself had come, sounded the stealthy crunch of feet. Motionless in the utter darkness, Jimmy Dale listened. There was a scraping noise in the rear. Someone was climbing the fence that he had climbed. In an instant, the tools in Jimmy Dale's hands disappeared into their respective pockets beneath his vest, and the sensitive fingers shot to the dial on the safe. Too bad, muttered Jimmy Dale plaintively to himself. I could have made such an artistic job of it. I swear I could have cut Carruthers' profile in the hole in less than no time. To open it like this is really taking the poor old thing at a disadvantage. He was on his knees now, one ear close to the dial, listening as the tumblers fell, while the delicate fingers spun the knob unerringly, the other ear strained toward the rear of the premises. Came a footstep, a ray of light, a stumble, nearer. The newcomer was inside the place now, and must have found out that the back door had been tampered with. Nearer came the steps, still nearer, and then the safe door swung open under Jimmy Dale's hand, and Jimmy Dale, that he might not be caught like a rat in a trap, darted from the office. But he had delayed a little too long. From around the cluttered piles of junk and miscellany swept the light, full on Jimmy Dale. Hesitation for the smallest fraction of a second would have been fatal, but hesitation was something that in all his life Jimmy Dale had never known. Quick as a panther in its spring, he leapt full at the light and the man behind it. The rough voice, in surprising exclamation at the sudden discovery of the quarry, died in a gasp. There was a crash as the two men met, and the other reeled back before the impact. On to him Jimmy Dale sprang, and his hands flew for the other's throat. It was an officer in uniform. Jimmy Dale had felt the brass buttons as they locked. In the darkness there was a queer smile on Jimmy Dale's tight lips. It was no doubt the officer whom he had passed on the other side of the street. The other was a smaller man than Jimmy Dale, but powerful for his build, and he fought now with all his strength. This way and that the two men reeled, staggered, swayed, panting and gasping, and then, 
they had lurched back close to the office door. With a sudden swing, every muscle brought into play for a supreme effort. Jimmy Dale hurled the other from him, sending the man sprawling back to the floor of the office, and in the winking of an eye had slammed shut the door and turned the key. There was a bull-like roar, the shrill, deep, deep, deep of the patrolman's whistle, and a shattering crash as the officer flung his body against the partition. Then the bark of a revolver shot, the tinkle of breaking glass as the man fired through the office window, and past Jimmy Dale, speeding now for the front door, a bullet hummed viciously. Out on the street dashed Jimmy Dale, whipping the mask from his face, and glanced like a hawk around him. For all the racket, the neighborhood had not yet been aroused. No one was in sight. From just overhead came the rattle of a downtown elevated train. In a hundred-yard sprint, Jimmy Dale raced it a half a block to the station, tore up the steps, and a moment later dropped nonchalantly into a seat and pulled an evening newspaper from his pocket. Jimmy Dale got off at the second station down, crossed the street, mounted the steps of the elevated again, and took the next train uptown. His movements appeared to be somewhat erratic. He alighted at the station next above the one by which he had made his escape. Looking down the street, it was too dark to see much of anything, but a confused noise, as of a gathering crowd, reached him from what was about the location of the second-hand store. He listened appreciatively for a moment. "'Isn't it a perfectly lovely night?' said Jimmy Dale amiably to himself. "'And to think of that cop running away with the idea that I didn't see him when he hid in a doorway after I passed the corner. Well, well, strange, isn't it?' With another glance down the street, a whimsical lift of his shoulders, he headed west into the dilapidated tenement quarter that huddled for a handful of blocks nearby, just south of Washington Square. It was a little after one o'clock in the morning now, and the pedestrians were casual. Jimmy Dale read the street signs on the corners as he went along, turned abruptly into an intersecting street, counted the tenements from the corner as he passed, and, for the eye of anyone who might be watching, opened the street door of one of them quite as though he were accustomed, and had a perfect right to do so, and went inside. It was murky and dark within, hot, unhealthy, with lingering smells of garlic and stale cooking. He groped for the stairs and started up. He climbed one flight, then another, and one more to the top. Here, treading softly, he made an examination of the landing, with a view, evidently, to obtaining an idea of the location and the number of doors that opened off from it. His selection fell on the third door from the head of the stairs. There were four, all told, two apartments of two rooms each. He paused for an instant to adjust the black silk mask, tried the door quietly, found it unlocked, opened it with a sudden, quick, brisk movement, and, stepping inside, leaned with his back against it. "'Good morning,' said Jimmy Dale pleasantly. It was a squalid place, a miserable hole, in which a single flickering yellow gas jet gave light. It was almost bare of furniture. There was nothing but a couple of cheap chairs, a rickety table, unpawnable. A boy, he was hardly more than that, perhaps twenty-two, from a posture in which he was huddled across the table with head buried in outflung arms, sprang with a startled cry to his feet. 
"'Good morning,' said Jimmy Dale again. "'Your name's Hagen, Bert Hagen, isn't it? "'And you work for Isaac Brolsky in the second-hand shop over West Broadway, don't you?' The boy's lips quivered, and the gaunt, hollow, half-starved face, white, ashen-white now, was pitiful. "'I—' "'I guess you got me,' he faltered. "'I I suppose you're a plain-clothes man, "'though I never knew dicks wore masks.' "'They don't, generally,' said Jimmy Dale coolly. "'It's a fad of mine, Bert Hagen.' "'The lad, hanging to the table, "'turned his head away for a moment, "'and there was silence. "'Presently Hagen spoke again. "'I'll go,' he said numbly. "'I won't make any trouble. "'Would, would you mind not speaking loud?' I, I wouldn't like her to know. Her, said Jimmy Dale softly. The boy tiptoed across the room, opened a connecting door a little, peered inside, opened it a little wider, and looked over his shoulder at Jimmy Dale. Jimmy Dale crossed to the boy, looked inside the other room, and his lips twitched queerly as the sight sent a quick, hurt throb through his heart. A young woman, younger than the boy, lay on a tumble-down bed, a rag of clothing over her, her face with the death-like pallor upon it, as she lay in what appeared to be a stupor. She was ill, critically ill. It needed no trained eye to discern a fact all too apparent to the most casual observer. The squalor, the glaring poverty here, was even more pitifully in evidence than in the other room. Only here, upon a chair beside the bed, was a cluster of medicine bottles and a little heap of fruit. Jimmy Dale drew back silently as the boy closed the door. Hagen walked to the table and picked up his hat. I'm, I'm ready, he said brokenly. Let's go. Just a minute, said Jimmy Dale. Tell us about it. "'Twon't take long,' said Hagen, trying to smile. "'She's my wife. The sickness took all we had. "'I I kinder got behind in the rent and things. "'They were going to fire us out of here tomorrow, "'and there wasn't any money for the medicine "'and, and the things she had to have. "'Maybe you wouldn't have done it, but I did. "'I couldn't see her dying there "'for the want of something a little money'd buy, "'and, and I couldn't—' "'He caught his voice in a little sob— I couldn't see her thrown out on the street like that. And so, said Jimmy Dale, instead of putting old Isaac's cash in the safe this evening when you locked up, you put it in your pocket instead, eh? Didn't you know you'd get caught? What did it matter, said the boy. He was twirling his misshapen hat between his fingers. I knew they'd know it was me in the morning when old Isaac found it gone, because there wasn't anybody else to do it. "'But I paid the rent for four months ahead tonight, "'and I fixed it so she'd have medicine and things to eat. "'I was going to beat it before daylight myself. "'I—' "'He brushed his hand hurriedly across his cheek. "'I didn't want to go, to leave her till I had to. "'Well, say, there was wonderment in Jimmy Dale's tones, "'and his English lapsed into ungrammatical, reassuring vernacular. "'Ain't that queer?' "'Say, I'm no detective. "'Gee, kid, did you think I was? "'Say, listen to this. "'I cracked old Isaac's safe half an hour ago, "'and I guess there won't be any idea going around "'that you got the money and I pulled a lemon. "'Say, I ain't superstitious, "'but it looks like luck meant you to have another chance, don't it?' "'The hat dropped from Hagen's hands to the floor, "'and he swayed a little. 
"'You ain't a dick?' he stammered. "'Then how'd you know about me and my name when you found the safe empty? Who told you?' A wry grimace spread suddenly over Jimmy Dale's face beneath the mask, and he swallowed hard. Jimmy Dale would have given a good deal to have been able to answer that question himself. "'Oh, that,' said Jimmy Dale. "'That's easy. I knew you worked there. Say, it's the limit, ain't it? Talk about your luck being in. Why, all you've got to do is to sit tight and keep your mouth shut, and you're safe as a church. Only say, what are you going to do about the money, now you've got a four-month start and are kind of landed on your feet?' "'Do,' said the boy. "'I'll pay it back, little by little. I meant to. I ain't no—' He stopped abruptly. "'Cook,' supplied Jimmy Dale pleasantly. "'Spit it right out, kid. You won't hurt my feelings none. "'Well, I'll tell you. You're talking the way I'd like to hear you. "'You pay that back. Slide it in without his knowing it, "'a bit at a time, whenever you can, "'and you'll never hear a yip out of me.' But if you don't, why, it kind of looks as though I have a right to come down your street and get my share, or know the reason why, eh? Then you never get any share, said Hagen, with a catch in his voice. I pay it back as fast as I can. Sure, said Jimmy Dale. That's right. That's what I said. Well, so long, Hagen. And Jimmy Dale had opened the door and slipped outside. An hour later, in his dressing-room in his house on Riverside Drive, Jimmy Dale was removing his coat as the telephone, a hand instrument on the table, rang. Jimmy Dale glanced at it, and leisurely proceeded to remove his vest. Again the telephone rang. Jimmy Dale took off his curious, pocketed leather belt as the telephone repeated its summons. He picked out the little drill he had used a short while before, and inspected it critically, feeling its point with his thumb, as one might feel a razor blade. Again the telephone rang insistently. He reached languidly for the receiver, took it off its hook, and held it to his ear. "'Hello,' said Jimmy Dale with a sleepy yawn. "'Hello, hello.' Why the deuce don't you yank a man out of bed at two o'clock in the morning and have done with it, and— Eh? Oh, that you, Carruthers? Yes, came Carruthers' voice excitedly. Jimmy, listen, listen. The gray seal's come to life. He's just pulled a break on West Broadway. Good Lord, gasped Jimmy Dale. You don't say. End of Part One Chapter One B